first paper of the last day of a condemned by victor hugo this librivox recording is in the public domain bicetra prison condemned to death these five weeks have i dwelt with this idea always alone with it always frozen by its presence always bent under its weight formerly for it seems to me rather years than weeks since I was free. I was a being like any other. Every day, every hour, every minute had its idea. My mind, youthful and rich, was full of fancies, which it developed successively, without order or aim, but weaving inexhaustible arabesques on the poor and coarse web of life. Sometimes it was of youthful beauties, sometimes of unbounded possessions, then of battles gained, next of theatres full of sound and light, and then again the young beauties, and shadowy walks at night beneath spreading chestnut trees. There was a perpetual revel in my imagination. I might think on what I chose. I was free. But now I am a captive, bodily in irons in a dungeon, and mentally imprisoned in one idea, one horrible, one hideous one unconquerable idea i have only one thought one conviction one certitude condemned to death whatever i do that frightful thought is always here like a spectre beside me solitary and jealous banishing all else haunting me for ever and shaking me with its two icy hands whenever i wish to turn my head away or to close my eyes it glides into all forms in which my mind seeks to shun it, mixes itself like a horrible chant with all the words which are addressed to me, presses against me even to the odious gratings of my prison. It haunts me while awake, spies on my convulsive slumbers, and reappears a vivid incubus in my dreams. I had just started from a troubled sleep in which I was pursued by this thought, and I made an effort to say to myself, Oh, it was but a dream. Well, even before my heavy eyes could read the fatal truth in the dreadful reality which surrounds me, on the damp and reeking dungeon walls, in the pale rays of my night lamp, in the rough material of my prison garb, on the sombre visage of the sentry, whose cap gleams through the grating of the door, it seems to me that already a voice has murmured in my ear, condemned to death. Second paper. Five weeks have now elapsed since I was tried, found guilty, sentenced. Let me endeavour to recall the circumstances which attended that fatal day. It was a beautiful morning at the close of August. My trial had already lasted three days. My name and accusation had collected each morning a knot of spectators, crowded the benches of the court as ravens surrounded a corpse. During three days all the assembly of judges, witnesses, lawyers, and officers had passed and repassed as a phantasmagoria before my troubled vision. The two first nights, through uneasiness and terror, I had been unable to sleep. On the third I had slept from fatigue and exhaustion. I had left the jury deliberating at midnight, 
and was taken back to the heap of straw in my prison, where I instantly fell into a profound sleep, the sleep of forgetfulness. These were the first hours of repose I had obtained, after long watchfulness. I was buried in this oblivion when they sent to have me awakened, and my sound slumber was not broken by the heavy step and iron shoes of the jailer, by the clanking of his keys, or the rusty grating of the lock. To rouse me from my lethargy it required his harsh voice in my ear, his rough hand on my arm. "'Come!' shouted he. "'Rise directly!' I opened my eyes, and started up from my straw bed. It was already daylight. At this moment, through the high and narrow window of my cell, I saw on the ceiling of the next corridor the only firmament I was allowed to see, that yellow reflection by which I, as accustomed to the darkness of a prison, recognize sunshine. And oh, how I love sunshine! "'It is a fine day,' said I to the jailer. He remained a moment without answering me, as if uncertain whether it was worth while to expend a word. Then, as if with an effort, he coolly murmured, "'Very likely.' I remained motionless, my senses half-sleeping, with smiling lips, and my eyes fixed on that soft golden reflection which reverberated on the ceiling. "'What a lovely day!' I repeated. "'Yes,' answered the jailer. "'They are waiting for you.' These few words, like a web which stops the flight of an insect, flung me back into the reality of my position. I pictured to myself instantly, as in a flash of lightning, that sombre court of justice, the bench of judges in their robes of sanguine hue, the three rows of stupid-looking witnesses, two gendarmes at the extremity of my bench, black robes waving, and the heads of the crowd clustering in the depth of the shadow, while I fancied that I felt upon me the fixed look of the twelve jurymen who had sat up while I slept. I rose, my teeth chattered, my hands trembled, my limbs were so weak that at the first step I had nearly fallen. However, I followed the jailer slowly. Two gendarmes waited for me at the doorway of the cell. They replaced my fetters, to which I yielded mechanically as in a dream. We traversed an interior court, and the balmy air of morning reanimated me. I raised my head. The sky was cloudless, and the warm rays of the sun, partially intercepted by the tall chimneys, traced brilliant angles of light on the high and sombre walls of the prison. It was indeed a delicious day. We ascended a winding staircase. We passed a corridor, then another, then a third, and then a low door was opened current of hot air, laden with noise, rushed from it. It was the breath of the crowd in the court of justice, which I then entered. On my appearance the hall resounded with the clank of arms and the hum of voices. Benches were moved noisily, and while I crossed that long chamber between two masses of people who were walled in by soldiers, I painfully felt myself the centre of attraction to all those fixed and gaping looks. At this moment I perceived that I was without fetters, but I could not recall where or when they had been removed. At length I reached my place at the bar, and there was a deep silence. This, the instant that the tumult ceased in the crowd, it ceased also in my ideas. A sudden clearness of perception came to me, and I at once understood plainly what until then I 
could not discover in my confused state of mind that the decisive moment was come i was brought there to hear my sentence explain it who can from the manner in which this idea came to my mind it caused me no terror the windows were open the air and the sounds of the city came freely through them the room was as light as for a wedding the cheerful rays of the sun traced here and there the luminous forms of the windows sometimes lengthened on the flooring sometimes spreading on a table sometimes broken by the angles of the walls and from the brilliant square of each window the rays fell through the air in dancing golden beams the judges at the extreme of the hall bore a satisfied appearance probably from the anticipation of their labours being soon completed the face of the president softly lightened lighted by a reflected sunbeam had a calm and amiable expression and a young counsel conversed almost gaily with a handsome woman who was placed near him the jury alone looked wan and exhausted but this was apparently from the fatigue of having sat up all night nothing in their countenance indicated men who had passed sentence of death opposite to me a window stood wide open i heard laughter in the market for flowers beneath and on the sill of the window a graceful plant illumined by sunshine played in the breeze how could any sinister idea be formed amongst so many soothing sensations surrounded by air and sunshine i can think of naught save freedom hope shone within me as the day shone around me and i waited my sentence with confidence as one daily calculates on liberty and life in the meantime my counsel arrived after taking his place he leaned towards me with a smile i have hopes said he oh surely i replied in the same light tone yes returned he i know nothing as yet of the verdict they have doubtless acquitted you of premeditation and then it will only be hard labour for life what do you mean sir replied i indignantly i would prefer death then the president who had only waited for my counsel desired me to rise the soldiers carried arms and like an electric movement all the assembly rose at the same instant the recorder placed at a table below the tribunal read the verdict which the jury pronounced during my absence a sickly chill passed over my frame i leaned against the wall to avoid falling counsel have you anything to say why this sentence should not be passed demanded the president i felt that i had much to urge but i had not the power my tongue was cleaving to my mouth my counsel then rose his endeavour appeared to be to mitigate the verdict of the jury and to substitute the punishment of hard labour for life by naming which it rendered me so indignant this indignation must again have been powerful within me to conquer the thousand emotions which distracted my thoughts i wished to repeat aloud which i had already said to him but my breath failed and i could only grasp him by the arm crying with convulsive strength no the attorney-general replied against my counsel's arguments and i listened to him with a stupid satisfaction the judges then left the court, soon returned, and the President read my sentence. "'Condemned to death!' cried the crowd. And, as I was led away, the assembly pressed on my steps with avidity, while I walked on, confused, and nearly in unconsciousness. A revolution had taken place within me. Until that is sentence of death, 
I had felt myself breathe, palpitate, exist like other beings. Now I felt clearly that a barrier existed between me and the world. Nothing appeared to me under the same aspect as hitherto. Those large and luminous windows, that fair sunshine, that pure sky, all was pale and ghastly, the colour of a winding sheet. Those men, women, and children who pressed on my path seemed to me like phantoms. At the foot of the stairs a black and dirty prison cart was waiting. As I entered it, I looked by chance around. "'The condemned prisoner!' shouted the people, running towards the cart. Through the cloud which seemed to me to interpose between me and all things, I distinguished two young girls who gazed at me with eager eyes. "'Well,' said the youngest, clapping her hands, "'it will take place in six weeks.'" Third Paper Condemned to Death Well, why not? I remember once reading, "'All mankind are condemned to death with indefinite respites.'" How then is my position altered? Since my sentence was pronounced, how many are dead who calculated upon a long life? How many are gone before me, who, young, free, and in good health, had fully intended to be present at my execution? How many, between this and then, perhaps, who now walk and breathe in the fresh air anywhere they please, will die before me? And then, what is life for me that I should regret? In truth, only a dull twilight and black bread of a prison, a portion of meagre soup from the trough of the convicts, to be treated rudely, I, who have been refined by education, to be brutalized by turnkeys without feeling, not to see a human being who thinks me worthy of a word, or whom I could address, incessantly to shudder at what I have done and what may be done to me. These are nearly the only advantages of which the executioner can deprive me. Ah! Still, it is horrible. Fourth paper. The black cart brought me here to this hideous Bicetra prison. Seen from afar, the appearance of that edifice is rather majestic. It spreads to the horizon in front of a hill, and at a distance retains something of its ancient splendour, the look of a royal palace. But as you approach it, the palace changes to a ruin, and the dilapidated gables shock the sight. There is a mixture of poverty and disgrace soiling its royal façades. Without glass or shutters to the windows, but massive crossed bars of iron instead, against which is pressed here and there the ghastly face of a felon or a madman. Fifth Paper When I arrived here, the hand of force was laid on me, and numerous precautions were taken. Neither knife nor fork was allowed for my repasts, and a straight waistcoat, a species of sack made of sailcloth, imprisoned my arms. I had sued to annul my sentence, so the jailers might have for six or seven weeks their responsibility, and it was requisite to keep me safe and healthful for the guillotine. For the first few days I was treated with a degree of attention which was horrible to me. The civilities of a turnkey breathe of a scaffold. Luckily, at the end of some days, habit resumed its influence. They mixed me with the other prisoners in a general brutality, and made no more of those unusual distinctions of politeness which continually kept the executioner in my memory 
this was not the only amelioration my youth my docility the cares of the chaplain of the prison and above all some words in latin which i addressed to the keeper who did not understand them procured for me a walk once a week with the other prisoners and removed the straight waistcoat with which i was paralysed after considerable hesitation they have also given me pens paper ink and a night lamp every sunday after mass i am allowed to walk in the prison court at the hour of recreation there i talk with the prisoners which is inevitable they make boon companions these wretches they tell me their adventures enough to horrify one but i know they are proud of them they also try to teach me their mystic idioms an odious phraseology grafted on the general language like a hideous excrescence yet sometimes it has a singular energy a frightful picturesqueness to be hung is called marrying the widow as though the rope of the gallows were the widow of all who had been executed at every instant mysterious fantastic words occur base and hideous derived no one knows whence they resemble crawling reptiles on hearing this language spoken the effect is like the shaking of dusty rags before you these men at least pity me they alone do so the jailers the turnkeys and i am not angry with them gossip and laugh and speak of me in my presence as of a mere animal sixth paper i said to myself as i have the means of writing why should i not do it but of what shall i write placed between four walls of cold and bare stone without freedom for my steps without horizon for my eyes my sole occupation mechanically to watch the progress of that square of light which the grating of my door marks on the sombre wall opposite and as i said before ever alone with one idea an idea of crime punishment death can i have anything to say i who have no more to do in this world and what shall i find in this dry and empty brain which is worthy the trouble of being written why not if all around me is monstrous and hueless is there not within me a tempest a struggle a tragedy this fixed idea which possesses me does it not take every hour every instant a new form becoming more hideous as the time approaches why should i not try to describe for myself all the violent and unknown feelings i experience in my outcast situation certainly the material is plentiful and however shortened my life may be there will still be sufficient in the anguish terrors the torture which will fill it from this hour until my last to exhaust my pen and ink besides the only means to decrease my suffering in this anguish will be to observe it closely and then what i write may not be without its use this journal of my sufferings hour by hour minute by minute torment after torment if i have strength to carry it on to the moment when it will be physically impossible for me to continue this history necessarily unfinished yet as complete as possible with my sensations may it not give a grand and deep lesson will not there be in this process of agonizing thought in this ever-increasing progress of pain in this intellectual dissection of a condemned man more than one lesson for those who condemned 
perhaps the perusal may render them less heedless when throwing a human life into what they call the scale of justice perhaps they have never reflected on the slow succession of tortures conveyed in the expeditious formula of a sentence of death have they ever paused on the important idea that in the man whose days they shorten there is an immortal spirit which had calculated on life a soul which is not prepared for death no they see nothing but their execution and doubtless think that for the condemned there is nothing anterior or subsequent these sheets shall undeceive them published perchance some day they will call their attention a few moments to the suffering of the mind for it is this which they do not consider they triumph in the power of being able to destroy the body almost without making it suffer what inferior consideration is this what is mere physical pain compared to that of the mind a day will come and perhaps these memoirs the last revelations of a solitary wretch will have contributed that is unless after my death the wind carries away these sheets of paper into the muddy court or unless they melt with rain and pasted to the broken windows of a turnkey seventh paper suppose that what i write might one day be useful to others might make the judge pause in his decision and might save the wretched innocent or guilty from the agony to which i am condemned why should i do it what matters it when my life has been taken what will it be to me if they take the lives of others have i really thought of such folly to throw down the scaffold which i had fatally mounted what sunshine spring fields full of flowers and birds the clouds trees nature liberty life these are to be mine no more ah it is myself i must try to save is it really true that this cannot be that i must die soon to-morrow to-day perhaps is it all thus oh heavens what a dreadful idea of destroying myself against the prison wall eighth paper let me consider what time generally elapses between the condemnation and the execution of a prisoner three days of delay after sentence is pronounced for the prisoner's final plea to annul it the plea forgotten for a week in a court of size before it is sent to the minister a fortnight forgotten at the minister's who does not even know that there are such papers although he is supposed to transmit them after examination to the cour de cassation then classification numbering registering the guillotine list is loaded and none must go before their turn a fortnight more waiting then the court assembles rejects twenty pleas together and sends all back to the minister who sends them back to the attorney-general who sends them back to the executioner this would take three more days on the morning of the fourth day the deputies of the attorney-general and recorder prepare the order of execution and the following morning from daybreak is heard the noise of erecting the scaffold and in the cross streets a commotion of hoarse voices altogether six weeks the young girl's calculation was right i have now been at least five weeks perhaps six for i dare not reckon 
in this fatal prison. Nay, I think I have been even three days more. Ninth Paper I have just made my will. What is the use of this? I have to pay my expenses, and all I possess will scarcely suffice. A forced death is expensive. I leave a mother, I leave a wife, I leave a child, a little girl of three years old, gentle, delicate, with large black eyes and chestnut hair. She was two years and one month old when I saw her the last time. Thus, after my death there will be three women without son, without husband, without father, three orphans in different degrees, three widows by act of law. I admit that I am justly punished, but these innocent creatures, what have they done? No matter. They will be dishonoured, they will be ruined, and this is justice. It is not so much on account of my poor old mother that I feel thus wretched. She is so advanced in years, she will not survive the blow. Or if she still linger a short time, her feelings are so blunted that she will suffer but little. Nor is it for my wife that I feel the most. She is already in miserable health and weak in intellects. Her reason will give way, in which case her spirit will not suffer while the mind slumbers as in death. But my daughter, my child, my poor little Mary, who is laughing, playing, singing at this moment, and who dreams of no evil, ah, it is the thought of her which unmans me. Tenth paper. Here is the description of my prison, eight feet square, four walls of granite with a flagged pavement, on one side a kind of nook by way of alcove, in which is thrown a bundle of straw, where the prisoner is supposed to rest and sleep, dressed, winter, as in summer, in slight linen clothing. Over my head, instead of curtains, a thick canopy of cobwebs, hanging like tattered pennons. For the rest, no windows, not even a ventilator, and only one door, for iron hides the wood. A mistake. Towards the top of the door there is a sort of window, or rather an opening of nine inches square, cast by a grating, in which the turnkey can close at night. Outside there is a long corridor lighted and aired by means of narrow ventilators high in the wall. It is divided into compartments of masonry, which communicate by a series of doors. Each of these compartments serves as an antechamber to a dungeon like mine. In these dungeons are confined felons, condemned by the governor of the prison to hard labour. The three first cells are kept for prisoners under sentence of death, as being nearest to the goal, therefore most convenient for the jailer. These dungeons are the only remains of the ancient Bicetre castle, such as it was built in the fifteenth century by the Cardinal of Winchester, he who caused Joan of Arc to be burned. I overheard this description from some persons who came to my den yesterday to gratify their curiosity and who stared at me from a distance as at a wild beast in a menagerie. The turnkey received five francs for the exhibition. I have omitted to say that night and day there is a sentry on guard outside the door of my cell, and I never raise my eyes towards the square grating without encountering his eyes, open and fixed on me.
eleventh paper as there is no appearance of daylight what is to be done during the night it occurred to me that i would arise and examine by my lamp the walls of my cell they are covered with writings with drawings fantastic figures and names which mix with and deface each other it would appear that each prisoner had wished to leave behind him some trace here at least pencil chalk charcoal black white grey letters sometimes deep carvings upon the stone if my mind were at ease i could take an interest in this strange book which is developed page by page to my eyes on each stone of this dungeon i should like to recompense these fragments of thought to trace a character for each name to give sense and life to these mutilated inscriptions these dismembered phrases above where i sleep there are two flaming hearts pierced with an arrow and beneath is written amour pour la vie poor wretch it was not a long engagement beyond this a three-sided cocked hat with a small figure coarsely done beneath and the words viva l'empereur on the opposite wall is the name of papa Vaughan. the capital p is worked in arabesques and established with care a verse of a popular drinking song a cap of liberty cut rather deeply into the stone with the words beneath of boris la republique poor young man he was one of the four subaltern officers of la rochelle how horrible is the idea of their fancied political necessity to give the frightful reality of the guillotine for an opinion a reverie an abstraction and i i have complained of its severity i who have really committed crime ah what have i seen i can go no farther in my research i have just discovered drawn with chalk in the corner of the wall that dreadful image the representation of that scaffold which even at this moment is perhaps being put up for my execution the lamp had nearly fallen out of my trembling hands twelfth paper i returned precipitately to sit on my straw bed my head sunk on my knees after a time my childish fear was dissipated and a wild curiosity forced me to continue the examination of my walls beside the name of papa voine i tore away an enormous cobweb thick with dust and filling the angle of the wall under this web there were four or five names perfectly legible among others of which nothing remained but a smear on the wall dautan eighteen fifteen poulon eighteen eighteen jean martin eighteen twenty one castaigne eighteen twenty three as I read these names, frightful recollections crowded on me. Dautan was the man who cut his brother in quarters, and who went at night to perish and threw the head into a fountain, and the body in a sewer. Paulin assassinated his wife. Jean Martin shot his father with a pistol as the old man opened a window. And Castaigne was the physician who poisoned his friend and while attending the illness he had caused instead of an antidote gave him more poison then next to these names was papa voyou the horrible madman who stabbed children to death in his frenzy
these i exclaimed as a shudder passed over me these then have been my predecessors in this cell here on the same pavement where i am they concede their last thoughts these fearful homicides within these walls in this narrow square their last steps turned and returned like those of a caged wild beast they succeeded each other at short intervals it seems that this dungeon does not remain empty they have left the place warm and it is to me they have left it in my turn i shall join them in the felon cemetery of clamart where the grass grows so well i am neither visionary nor superstitious but it is probable these ideas caused in my brain a feverish excitement for whilst i thus wondered all at once these five fatal names appeared as though written in flames on the dark wall noises louder and louder burst on my ears a dull red light filled my eyes and it seemed to me that my cell became full of men strangers to me each bore his severed head in his left hand and carried it by the mouth for the hair had been removed each raised his right hand at me except the parricide begin footnote this forcible passage scarcely requires the explanation that in france a parricide has the right hand taken off prior to execution and all criminals about to be guillotined have their hair removed lest the axe might be impeded and cause extra suffering End footnote. i shut my eyes in horror and then i saw all even more distinctly than before dream vision or reality i should have gone mad if a sudden impression had not recalled me in time i was near fainting when i felt something cold crawling over my naked foot it was the bloated spider whom i had disturbed this recalled my wandering senses those dreadful spectres then were only the fumes of an empty and convulsed brain the sepulchre is a prison from whence none escape the door of the tomb opens not inwards end of twelfth paper